went to uni and studied zoology and aquatic biology. I then did a master's in oceanography where I specialised in um, elasmobranch ecology. Um, and then from there I started working in Mozambique. I worked for an organisation that was involved in getting volunteers, mostly you know, marine biology undergrads, out getting them some fieldwork experience. So we were doing marine megafauna surveys, shark fisheries monitoring and some coral reef surveys. Um, so that was a kind of a turning point for me. I really started to realise that marine biology and marine science is not purely, you know, working out numbers and doing statistics and just gathering information from the field. But it involves people so heavily, you know, people's behaviour affects what happens in our oceans, our policy affects what happens in our oceans. So at that point, I decided to go back to university and I did a second master's in environmental governance, which was the best year ever. I find it so valuable <laughs> to my career and I absolutely loved it. It was at the University of Manchester. And whilst it wasn't specific to the marine world, everything I was learning, I was applying to um, the work I wanted to do. And then that led me to what I'm doing now, which is like, I just love, absolutely love my job. I love getting up in the morning because I'm the project coordinator of a community-based shark tagging program here in Northern Ireland. So yeah, I absolutely love it. It's called CD and it's part of Ulster Wildlife. So Ulster Wildlife is the largest organisation in Northern Ireland that is working towards safeguarding wildlife and wild places locally. Um, so the Sea Deep Shark Conservation Project is part of that. That's awesome. So what does Sea Deep do exactly? Um, there's a couple of different things. Sea Deep firstly has its tagging program. So we are trying to train as many recreational anglers as possible to safely tag and release sharks and collect um, all that really important information for us. So we don't use any, you know, fancy satellite tags um, or acoustic tags. We use little, um, there are little plastic floy tags and they have a unique number on them, which means that when an angler catches a shark and he tags it and he collects data, like what species is it, what sex is it, how big it is, um, and the coordinates of where he caught it, if that shark is ever caught again, because of that unique tag number, we're then able to see, you know, where has it moved to, how fast or how big has it grown. Um, and it's a bit of a numbers game. So that information doesn't mean much on its own. But once you get a lot of tag data coming in and your recapture numbers start to increase, it really starts to paint a picture and you can understand how our local sharks are using our waters. So that's one side of it. Um, the other big part is trying to get people who um, aren't marine biologists um, involved in shark conservation efforts. Um, so one of the things we do is egg case surveys. So some special sharks and um, true skates actually lay eggs to reproduce. And when that egg is empty and the little shark pup has left it, they tend to get dislodged and washed up on the beach and we can find them. So whilst it's not very specific data, we ask people to just, when they're walking on their local beach, see if they can find any that have been washed up in the seaweed. They can go onto our website, see if they can identify what species laid that egg case. 
because it's actually quite simple um, to know that. Then we start to get an idea of what sharks might potentially be using our waters as nursery grounds or spawning areas. And that's a really critical habitat for sharks in their life stage. Cool. That's super interesting that you guys are using citizen science for something that important and that big knowledge gap of we, you may not know where these sharks are nursing, but just by people going out and walking on the beach and picking up these eggs, you can figure that out. Yeah, and I think it's really important that, you know, some science Absolutely. is done by non-scientists because, um, you know, it's good to get people involved, but it's also a way to for them to take ownership and, and feel like they're part of it. And therefore, you know, if you move to the next step where you have enough evidence to prove that there's a spawning ground, you may, you may want to get policy in place to have a protected area there. And if you have support of the community in that area, then that's going to really add weight to, you know, your, your petition or whatever it is to get the marine protected area in place. So a lot of people might not think about Northern Ireland when they think about sharks and where they are. So do you guys have a large shark population up there? Um, you know, I definitely didn't think of Northern Ireland when I thought of sharks for a long, long time, even when I was studying, um, I always thought oh, I, I want to be, you know, where it's warm and where the whale sharks are because it's just so beautiful. Um, but we have a surprising number of, of sharks here. There's about 70 odd species in Irish waters generally. And then if you really narrow down to the coast of Northern Ireland, um, there's about 20 species that are here all year round. And then, of course, there's a lot of migratory species. So in the summertime, the giant baskin sharks will cruise through and um, also poor beagles and taupe. So, yeah, we've, we've quite um, a number of different sharks. Uh, whether or not those populations are healthy and thriving is questionable in a lot of cases. Uh, for example, the largest skate in the whole world um, is the flapper skate. And they have been basically populations completely decimated and wiped out. Um, there was a paper came out, I think, in about 1980-something that said the flapper skate was sort of the first species that was known to be or recorded to be wiped out because of commercial fishing. And, like, all of that's happening right here, like, in the waters around us. So we have a really important place in terms of shark conservation, like, a, quite a fundamental location, specifically because we also have these spawning areas. We know that some sharks are coming here and um, you know taupe they're classified as vulnerable on the IUCN red list and we know that they're actually pupping um in Northern Ireland so whilst we're not famous for our sharks I think we are a crucial place um, oh, to, to shark conservation. Does CD focus on some uh, education outreach on that like helping obviously with the citizen science but do you guys do other outreach that like teaches people from Northern Ireland that like hey this is an important place for sharks and stuff? Yes, we do. And it's actually turned out to be one of my favourite parts of the project. So I go out to schools and we have a series of three sessions and then a field trip to the beach to do some egg case surveys. Um, and I deliver this to schools all around Northern Ireland, yeah. specifically ones on the coast that, you know, are able to get to the beach easily. And I just love it because you go in and you sort of ask, hey guys, what do you know about sharks? And you hear, oh, jaws, they're really scary. Um, and a lot of talk about great whites. But, you know, by the end of session one, you spend an hour with the kids and all of a sudden they've realized that there's these amazing species right here. 
and whilst they might not be the most famous ones, they're actually like pretty cool and pretty interesting. Um, so yeah, I can imagine you. It is nice to bring attention to the fact that sharks isn't just like saying sharks doesn't just mean these huge great whites that are launching themselves out of the water and are mean and they can be like these chill little sharks swimming around the bottoms and even like skates like when I first started um marine bio I was like okay a skate like what what is that and to learn that they're like part of like this shark family is so mind-blowing because it's not (laughs) what you picture when you picture a shark so it's so cool to learn more about like the different species you can have so I think that's great that you guys are doing that outreach yeah it's cool especially when you see their faces when they go what that's related to a shark because I think you know once you go to uni things sort of stop surprising you a little um so it's really cool when you see this shock on their face and their eyes open wide and they're just like amazed by it (laughs) definitely and you never know who you're inspiring and they're maybe one of those kids is going to be the next uh shark biologist (laughs) that would be awesome even if it was just one kid Using citizen science, I think, is amazing for you guys because it really gets the people who are around there. I've said this in previous podcasts, but it really gets the people who are almost on the front lines, like the people that live there and call those like coastal towns home more involved. And it helps them realize like their effects almost have like a direct Mm -hmm. impact on these animals. So I think that's absolutely amazing. You guys are using citizen science. Yeah, it's great, especially because they can, you know, make a real difference themselves. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah, it definitely makes them realize how much they can do just without even going to university and getting a degree just by changing little things. People want to get involved with uh, CDEEP. How do they go about doing that? If someone wanted to join the team or volunteer with you guys, whether they be from Northern Ireland or from abroad, where how would they go about doing that? So, so we have a website. It's uh, cdeepni so it's s-e-a-d-e-e-p-n-i dot org and you can read all about the project and what we're doing on that website um, if you want to get involved as if you're from Northern Ireland then um, you can contact me directly through that website and I can arrange a tagging training session if you are an angler and you want to get involved in that tagging program um, all of the training and equipment is free so that anybody can join if they are um, a fisherman or fisherwoman. The other way is then, of course, if you don't want to get in the water and go fishing, is the egg case surveys. Um, so again, I can come out and do a workshop on with you and your friends or your class or whatever it is um, and teach you how to ID the different species. But if you just want to head out to your local beach um, with your dog or your friend and start looking around in the seaweed and see what you find, then there's again information on the website about how to ID those species. And lots of people, you know, send me little Twitter messages and Instagram messages. I find this. What is it? And I, I help as many people as possible try and ID their egg case finds. But the crucial thing is once you've figured out what it is, it needs to be recorded. So you need to submit it on on the website so that it it becomes data and is added into our data set because that's what we can then use as evidence. Um, So recording what you find is really important. Um, And the cool thing I forgot to mention earlier that we do with the egg case data is if we are finding that we're getting a really high number of a certain species on a beach, then we work with another volunteer group called Sea Search. 
and they are a volunteer dive group that survey the seabed. So we sponsor four dives with them a year so that in particular areas we can ask them, hey, can you please survey that area because we think there might be a nursery ground? And that way we can get in situ evidence, hopefully, of um, actual little egg cases with shark pups in them right there. Sort of like hardcore evidence. You can't deny that they're, they're spawning That here. is awesome. So have you guys identified um, some breeding grounds already or uh, nursing grounds already with that? So we have got um, pictures and evidence of little um, small spotted cat shark egg cases um, with little pups in them. It's not enough yet uh, to be, to say, you know, this area of this size is the spawning ground, but we're getting there. We're certainly finding some exciting things. Oh, that's so exciting. It's always nice when your work kind of like comes to fruitation. You get to like say, yes, we found something. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's, it's just another, you know, group, another community that's getting involved and all of the, our efforts put together, whether it's the tagging, the diving or walking on the beach, it's just, you know, really painting this picture where we're really understanding what's happening. Um, and all of this information is coming from people who aren't marine scientists. So it's really, really worthwhile. That's awesome. Uh, are there any major gaps in shark ecology that you guys are hoping for science to increase their research on or that you guys are hoping to increase research on aside from these like nursery grounds? Yeah, I think there is quite a lot. So if I talk maybe specifically about the flapper skate, which is this critically endangered um, species that has a sort of a range that goes from Scotland to Northern Ireland and to the south. Um, I sat on this working group that brought together scientists, NGOs, uh, sports fishermen and government. So we all came into the room and decided, okay, what do we need to do for um, this flapper skate in particular? Um, And I was actually in awe of how many gaps there were and how little we knew about a species that used to be so common and so abundant in our waters. And it was everything from... Um, where is it potentially spawning how long do the pups you know live in the egg cases to where is it foraging how fast do they grow where are they mating basically there was so much that wasn't understood about its life history around Northern Ireland so um, in positive news there's a lot of work happening in Northern Ireland for this critically endangered species so it's really exciting that all these different groups like CD but also you know universities and um, government were all working together to, to see if we can move forward and, and um, put protections in place for this species but um, there's a lot of gaps in terms of ecology um, and also connectivity and um, because you know some sharks they make large migrations so we don't know where they are for a lot of the time but flapper skates actually show quite high site fidelity. So they tend to have a home site and stay in one area. Um, but we have a few questions because we know there's a population in Scotland and we know there's a population in Northern Ireland and we think they might, like a few individuals might cross over and there might be some mix in there. So what does that mean um, in terms of the, you know, the journey that they make from Northern Ireland to Scotland, what's happening to them? Um, so there's a lot of questions. 
I've got no answers to any of these questions. I just put out a lot of questions there. Sorry. No, that's okay. Lots of questions is not a problem. That just leaves room for lots of answers to be found for the next couple of years of young scientists coming in. Yeah, there's lots of work to be done. Which is great news for people looking for jobs. Specifically in Northern Ireland, I guess. But do you guys have any important legislations to help sharks or like keep them safe or any type of stuff like that? So we don't have any shark-specific legislation, but what we do have is the Northern Ireland Priority Species List, um, and it covers everything from plants, insects, um, you know, land animals and sharks and fish in the water. And if the species is put on the Northern Ireland Priority Species, it's then required that certain protections are put in place by the government for it. Um, So... In the last few months, this list is being reviewed. We're deciding, you know, what species should be on or off it. And CD uh, led on the expert group that was involved in what species of sharks, skates and rays should be on this list. Um, so that's a really important piece of legislation that will be coming out for public consultation over the next few months. So that's another way that if you want to get involved um, in Northern Ireland, keep an eye out for when that um, is out for public consultation and you know you can choose a choose a few species on the list do some background reading try and understand why they've been placed on the list um, is is a really good way to to um, sort of back what's happening and also the other tool of course that is the tool in every conservationist's uh, bag is marine protected areas and in Northern Ireland we call them we have a different name we call them <laughs> marine conservation zones um, so there is sort of one that has been preliminarily placed for the flapper skate but it hasn't actually been designated there's a couple of reasons for that we didn't have anyone sitting in our government for a while and then now they're back um, and you can get things signed off we just need to have a sufficient amount of evidence to actually get that finalized signed off and um, so that will also you'll probably hear about that in the next year or two as well if you're in Northern Ireland so that's exciting bits of you know policy work that could really make a real difference for um, sharks in Northern Ireland. Yeah that's super exciting to be able to have those uh, protected areas and conservation areas. Yeah, they're really important if you get them, you know, in the right place and they're the right size and things yeah. like that. It's a really good tool. Definitely, yes. So are sharks being affected by the same things that uh, other large animals in the oceans are being affected by, like the sounds and like shipping and that? Because we talk about a lot about how shipping noise and other anthropogenic or man-made noise is affecting large animals like whales. But does it have the same or similar impacts on sharks? And um, there's very, very little research done um, on noise pollution um, affecting or no other noises affecting sharks. Um, they do have a good sense of hearing, and because obviously noise travels well under the water, they have um, they have ears, but they're internal, so they don't have external ears like we do. But it wouldn't be the main problem. The main issue that sharks are facing is overfishing. Mm. Um, yeah, overfishing is the main problem and whether that's targeted shark fisheries, which are very few, um, but also as bycatch because, you know, once you put a net out there, you're sort of indiscriminately catching anything and that will include um, endangered species of sharks. Um, and then, of course, there's 
thinning. Mm, yes. Um, it's so thinning. If if maybe you don't know, is the practice of removing the fins of a shark and keeping them on board and throwing the body of the shark back over and um, into the water. And the reason that someone would do this is because fins are generally incredibly valuable and they can make more money selling the fins as opposed to selling the body of the shark. But there's been a lot of work across the world um, done in terms of making that practice illegal. So whilst it still happens, it's not as often. But interestingly, kind of what's happened, because in a lot of places they've made it so that you aren't allowed to fin a shark, you have to take the entire body back um, to land. It's sort of meant that there's been this increase in demand for shark meat. It's becoming more popular in certain places, um, including Europe. So I know a lot of people consider um, like other places in the world to be the perpetrators of shark killings, but Europe is one of the worst for, for fishing sharks and shark meat is becoming really popular in certain countries. I think Italy quite likes yeah. shark meat um, and Brazil. So yeah, overfishing is definitely one of the main problems. Actually, I've just re- remembered a, a study that came out, I'd say in the last six to 12 months in the UK. Um, this university did g- genetic testing on uh, fish from fish and chip shops around the south of England. And whenever it was sold under a generic name, so it wasn't specifically cod, it would be sold under the name like, um, what, like rock salmon is, is yeah. one that's commonly used. So these generic names meant that actually 90% of what they found was a shark species, either spur dog or small spotted cat shark. Wow. So even, even in the UK, people are maybe unknowingly eating sharks. That's wow. That's inter- I want to say interesting, but it's also kind of like kind of scary. Where you're like, what am I eating? But wow, so they would yeah. just like sell shark meat. So is it also bycatch, where like they'll be fishing for a different animal, but uh, accidentally catch a shark and then just be like, well, we have it now. Kind of like how dolphins are sometimes bycatch in the tuna industry. Yeah, the tuna industry would also have quite high numbers of. Um, shark bycatch as well for this particular the fish and chip shop study it generally seemed to be spur dog and spur dog are an endangered um considered to be an endangered species because they have quite extreme characteristics in terms of their life histories which makes them vulnerable so they have the longest pregnancy or longest gestation period of all vertebrates it's up to two years that a female shark will have to carry pups um, so two years is quite a long time to you know survive and get your shark pups out safely yeah. um, and then generally she might take a break for two or three years before she reproduces um, and any of the shark pups that she does have tend to have to be about 15 before they're mature so if you start taking you know large numbers of spur dog out of the population it will take decades for those numbers to to um, increase again and for that population to be healthy so they're one of the most vulnerable sharks and apparently they tend to end up in the fish and chip shop a lot. Wow, that's so interesting. That's almost unbelievable that you're just getting fat when you're at fish and chip shops. 
I know I, I was so shocked like it's mad because I it did used to happen in Northern Ireland but you know I'd say probably sharks have stopped being sold in fish and chip shops here for about 20 years it just sort of went out of fashion and yeah. um, I never realized it this is sort of what I've heard from grandparents and stuff like oh I remember when um so to, to hear that it was still happening somewhere in the UK was really quite shocking yeah. to me but I guess if people don't know, you know, I wouldn't really know where a lot of the stuff I buy from my supermarket comes from. Yeah. I don't religiously check the labels. So I guess people do the same when they go to their fish and chip ah, shop. That's interesting. So um, there are a lot of different conservation threats to these sharks that are anthropogenic or like man-made. So we're kind of one of the biggest threats to these animals. Yes, definitely 100%, because after, you know, overfishing and bycatch and finning, then habitat degradation is also a huge problem. And that can be from, you know, any sort of coastal developments. And also, if you have um, nursery grounds and spawning areas tend to be closer to shore for a lot of species, and that's where it's going to be busy. Um, You might also get runoff from land. Northern Ireland has a lot of... um, agricultural land so uh, things like fertilizers and pesticides and stuff tend to run off the land and into the sea and that could be going directly into a nursery ground um so yeah most most of the if not all of the major threats to sharks i would say are because of us yeah even climate change and um, you know ocean acidification um which is you know mainly affects species that have you know, exoskeletons like corals. But a recent study has found that it's um, increased acidity in the ocean is affecting the skin of sharks because shark skin is covered in these tiny armored plates called denticles. They're actually modified teeth. So um, the material that they're made from basically kind of degrades or, or can't be developed properly. Um, when the pH of the of the ocean changes and that will affect sharks in a huge way because if they don't have these very you know well produced little armored plates that provide them with protection and also allow them to swim really efficiently and quietly it could affect um, their their food intake if they can't sneak up on their prey silently you know there's lots of repercussions so that's just another way I like I couldn't believe it it's another way that sharks are, are getting into trouble in our waters and it's our fault again yeah it's really it's almost heartbreaking to think about how humans have really messed everything up in the ocean and how even when we're like even us trying to be conservationists and do research you don't really know the effect that you could be having and it's there, there's almost no winning with it but you want to help and you want to change things yeah it's hard because you know, you, you can probably realize that your life is having a negative effect on the ocean in some way, whether it's directly or indirectly. But um, it's sort of, you know, all about educating yourself, yeah. doing what you can. Um, and I think also you have to sort of choose a cause. You know, you can't you can't fight every battle. Exactly. So that's a big thing. Choose the one you're passionate about and go for it. <laughs> I love that. Well, Heidi, if there's anywhere that people want to follow along with Sea Deep or yourself with what you guys are doing with this, where can they find you on social medias? Um, I have a Twitter and Instagram account. So that's 
uh, Heidi underscore McIlvenny. Um, you can follow me if you're interested. I just tweet general things about sharks and usually retweet any new interesting papers that come out. And then if you want to follow the CD project and, and see what we're getting up to, um, we also have a Twitter and Instagram account, which is at CDeepNI. Uh, so you can follow all of our tagging adventures there and um, maybe even find a few egg cases. <laughs> yeah, so just reach out on that website you mentioned earlier if they want to get involved. Yes, definitely. Um, please do, if, you, if you're interested. I'd love to see if uh, we could work together um, or help you, you know, uh, learn about these different egg cases to get involved that way just reach out absolutely awesome well thank you so much Heidi for joining us today and teaching us all about some of these Northern Ireland sharks and what you guys are doing to help them <laughs> no worries thank you so much for having me and I just want to say I think this podcast is awesome I have learned so much you know I'm so focused on you know my project and sharks in Northern Ireland and I love that you're opening up all the different parts of the marine science world um, archaeology, paleontology, it's its really interesting. Oh my goodness, thank you. That means a lot. It's been really a learning experience for me too because like you, I'm very focused on like one thing, like I'm very like whales, like that's my passion. <laughs> but to like get the chance to meet with so many different or like virtually meet like I am with you with so many different women in different parts of the ocean is so cool. And to be able to share that, I... The fact that more than two people listen to this is just a bonus for me. Like I <laughs> am blown away by it so far and I'm so happy when people like you reach out to me. It makes me so happy. No problem. Like keep going. It's, it's awesome. Another big thank you to Heidi for joining me today on the podcast. Make sure to follow along on all her social medias and follow CD. As always, you can follow the Water Women podcast on all social medias. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the Water Women podcast and on Twitter at the Water Women Pod. You can also check out our website at waterwomenpodcast.weebly.com or send us an email at waterwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, stay salty.